morning. Two items I want to share as we get into today's lesson. Um, first, and I want you to be aware of this, every year our elders revise our budget and give us a copy of our, our giving goal, and we're going to do that again. The elders are. They're going to make that available next week. But I want you to know this study is uh, not to prepare you for something big coming up. Uh, or some big surprise, and so kind of a lead-up, uh, not at all. In fact, what you'll notice in the budget is most of it is just as it has been. Uh, but what this study is about, and I think you've picked up on this, is, is stewardship for all of us. Um, for those who are living paycheck to paycheck, to those who have plenty, all of us need to be good stewards, to purpose in our hearts, and to give as a part of our worship. Uh, and secondly, I want to say this, thank you. Um, last week our lesson was about being grateful, so I want to say thank you for being uh, a generous church, and I want you to be thankful for that. Uh, this church has a long history and a recent history of being very generous. I think of the stories I've heard from years ago when a group of Christians that were meeting on High Street made a courageous, bold move to West 7th and built this building that we're in now. Uh, and paid for it with very sacrificial giving. The story was like a penny a day. I don't know all the details of that, but they gave, they made that step, and we enjoyed the blessings of that. And so we need to be grateful for that. Uh, a little over 12 years ago, just before uh, my family moved here, this church made yet another expansion to this facility by adding the building out back. Uh, it took a lot of money. That was a big step of faith. If you might remember, if you've been here a while, that shortly afterwards, the ceiling in here started falling. And so we had to renovate this whole thing. Together, that was nearly $2 million. Today, that amount, that balance is 176000 Because you've been giving generously over these last few years. So thank you for that. And may I add that last year, Above all of our usual giving and those special Sundays for our building debt, you gave well over $200,000 for our children's ministry. Continue to give weekly, $200,000. That's 20% of our annual budget you gave in addition to that. So no more money had to be borrowed. And that's in addition to several thousand that people gave for the teen center just before we did that. So thank you for that. And be thankful for that. Uh, it's a good thing to be grateful. S surveys show that preachers don't like to talk about giving and stewardship and money. We'd rather preach on hell. Uh, and, and maybe that's true. I think the reason why preachers are afraid to talk about this is because people will think this is self-serving, that it's just going to make their pockets uh, bigger, more wealthy. Maybe that's why there are so many jokes about preachers and money. Like the man who called the church office one day, and he said, may I speak to the head hog at the trough? The secretary was caught off guard and said, pardon? And then she called herself and she said, sir, if you mean our preacher, I would hope that you would treat him with a little more respect than that. We do not call him the head hog at the trough. He said, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything about that, but uh, I've got about $100,000 and I'd like to make a contribution to the building program. And the secretary said, hold on a minute, the big pig just walked through the door. <laughs> the reason why churches should talk about money is because Jesus talked about money. And He talked about money, not because He wants our money, but because He wants our hearts. And He knows if He doesn't have our hearts, it doesn't matter. 
That's the main thing. And He also knows that our money goes where our hearts are. So if I believe that you should trust Jesus with your heart, then I need to teach you and challenge you to trust Jesus with your money. You can follow the money to discern who is serious about following Jesus. And that's the whole idea of stewardship is a part of discipleship. Of being a completely committed follower. What we've been studying is own nothing, steward everything, appreciate anything. And today we're talking about do something. Quick review. If you look at your notes there, number one, God owns all. This is stewardship 101. He owns everything. At no time does God ever surrender His right to own everything. All that we have technically is own loan. And we agree. And so we admit that we own nothing. Stewardship 201, we are to manage God's trust fund. We are entitled, uh, uh, we are entrusted stewards, not entitled owners. And sometimes we get that confused. We're going to be held accountable. Parable after parable, Jesus makes it clear. This is going to be on the test. This is important. Stewardship is not an option. It's essential to discipleship. And we realize that we live under a different economy because we're a citizen of a different kingdom. Stewardship 301. This was last week's lesson. You are as rich as you think. Giving means nothing if there's not a spirit of gratitude that we appreciate. Think about how much you give is how much you love. And that's why those two are so connected We need to be grateful that God loved you enough to give His Son for you. And we realize we are as rich as we think. So today we come to Stewardship 401. Stewardship needs constant intention. I use that word specifically. Intention. Not just attention. No one drifts into good stewardship. It's a conscience decision. You get there deliberately. Let me give you an example. Everybody knows that pro athletes make a ton of money. We might even say a wrong amount of money. But are you aware of how many pro athletes, especially football players, even though they'll make millions, find themselves in financial trouble? Sometimes, often, have to file bankruptcy? Not Ryan Broyles. have his picture on the screen. ESPN told a little bit about him. He was drafted in the second round in 2012 by the Detroit Lions. And he took the counsel of some financial advisors. And what I understood from the article is that they do this for all the football players because they want them to be good stewards. They're about to get a lot of money. need to handle it well. Most of them don't heed the advice. But Ryan and his wife Mary Beth did. They were told to set a budget. They set a budget. $60,000 a year. And they lived within that. And it's a good thing because they were saving, investing everything else Three years later, two knee surgeries later, he wasn't playing anymore. Not playing to this day. And it's a good thing that he thought ahead. Now, where does that come from? When I read that article, I want to know, what is it that made him do that when the others don't? Where does that start? Well, I did some more digging about this guy. Not in that article. I found another one. It told about his past. And folks, it's not so pretty. In fact... When he went to Oklahoma for college, before he even put a jersey on, he was arrested for stealing gas. That's in his history. And I read that about that misdemeanor landed six months, uh, deferred sentence, and a $100 fine. But that wasn't the end of the story. In the spring of 2011, he and about a couple of dozen other Oklahoma Sooner students went to Haiti on a mission trip. 
And being in that third world country, he saw poverty like he'd never seen before. People with no roofs over their head, no running water, no electricity, no modern convenience. But he said everywhere he looked, he saw people with nothing, nothing but their faith. But what he noticed was that the country was so little, they had joy in their faith. They smiled. They laughed. And Ryan said, I want to be like that. So he did something. Do you remember the parable of the talents when Jesus was given the five and the two and the one? When He gave the five, Matthew 25, 16, it says, the man who had received the five talents went at once. Do something. God is calling us to action. So what I want to do today in our lesson, I have seven points. Now, not all seven of them would apply to you. I know the last one will, so hang on. All of them may. But I want to share seven steps that might help you to do something So I'll be quick about this. Number one, do something to get out of financial bondage. If that's where you are, your first step might just be that. Do something to get out of financial bondage. Remember our study on freedom, we talked about that. That debt can can make us a slave, can make us trapped in bondage. I was listening to a DJ this week, driving to work. The lady said that when she was in her 20s, she had 52 credit cards. You feel better about yourself, don't you? Not surprising, the next thing out of her mouth is, of course, she had to file bankruptcy. Now, she wasn't proud of it, but she was just talking about how she got off to the wrong start. She didn't do well. That play now, pay later, is a very serious game. And it's so easy to fall into it because so many people play that game. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Why do people do this? Why do we end up in bondage? Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. Some versions say slave to the lender. Too many Christians, one article I read says, We're like Congress and we spend money we don't have. And we are critical of them of doing that, and we can be just as guilty and do the same thing. Debt as a lifestyle hinders our capacity to fully live in the kingdom of God because God's going to put people and opportunities in you. We're going to talk about this next week. But He's going to put people and opportunities in your life where you can partner with Him and do something good, but you can't because you are shackled to death and you're paying for what you were playing earlier. And you're going to have to forego that. I read this week that the IRS says the average filer pays ten times more in interest on debt, ten times more than they give to charities. Isn't that astounding? You can slip into debt, but no one slips out. You've got to be intentional about this. So do something. Stop living like debt is your provider. Believe that God is your provider. So do something. Maybe that's read a book about finances, about money management. Maybe that's talk to someone, get some good advice. Maybe that's having a financial mentor. You know somebody who's done it well? Say, teach me what God has taught you. I need to learn. I want to learn. I want some 101. Maybe take a class. Maybe like a financial piece that's offered from time to time. If you don't like Dave Ramsey, and say, well, I don't like his personality. That's okay. Not everybody does. There's Crown Financial Ministry. Teaches a lot of great biblical concepts, just like Dave Ramsey does. But do something, whatever it is that you need to do to get out of financial bondage, learning God-honoring money management may want to be one of the most spiritual things 
you can do. Sometimes in worship when we have communion and then the contribution follows, we feel like, well, communion is so spiritual and contribution seems not. It's physical. I mean, it's, it's, it's money. It's dirty. It's filthy lucre, right? But yet, godly stewardship is very spiritual. God gave you His Son. And so when you come to worship, you want to sacrificially give to Him. It can be just as spiritual. Number two, do something to protect your heart from money lies. There's all kind of wrong thinking out there. And no doubt, you've got some of it. Maybe you got it from your mom and dad. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But do something to protect your heart from money lies. Jesus knew that nothing had the potential to become a God substitute like money. Money has the unique ability to mimic God and promise you things like security and identity and significance. You give first allegiance to whatever you think has the most power to bless your life. And if you think it's money, then that's where your allegiance goes. That's where your heart will go. And the Bible calls this idolatry. And idolatry always leads to ruin. I think one of the most misquoted verses, maybe 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sometimes you hear it said in the movie or in music, the money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves from many griefs. Jesus talked a lot about money. But Jesus never once said, what you need is more money. Did He? Now we think that way. If I just had a little bit more, if I had more money, then I could, and we can easily fill in the blanks. Jesus never said that to anybody. Rich or poor, what you need is more money. What we need is more faith in the kingdom of God. That God will be able to provide our needs. So let's do something to protect our hearts from these lies. We do all kinds of things to protect our assets. We diversify our uh, uh, investments. We insure the things that we buy. All kinds. What do we do to protect our heart? Maybe you need to do something. Maybe this point's for you. Maybe you need to memorize some Scripture. Some of those we've been studying are others where Jesus warned about money. Not letting it become a God. To make sure God comes first. Maybe you need to meditate on how rich you are in Christ. Multiple Scriptures that talk about that. Spend some time. Get away. Focus on that. If you like a, lack a spirit of gratitude, if it's a challenge for you to be thankful for what you have, maybe you need to spend some time drilling down as to why. Why is it that you feel entitled? Why are you not easily thankful? How well do you grasp what the Bible teaches about money? How much are you aware of how much God has blessed you? Doing something bold and courageous to dethrone money will verify to you as well as attest to God that it is not your idol and that God is your God. We are not to serve money. Instead, to use money as a tool as we serve the Lord. Point number three. Maybe you need to do something to support the mission of your church. Do something to support the mission of your church. Now, I want to share a couple of things from my opinion. This is like Randy talking, okay? And all my study, all of my learning from those who are good uh, stewards, 
who understand this concept. They're older and wiser and much more generous to me. I try to learn all of this and I try to steward my finances, my giving with these two things. And I'm not saying I've made all the right financial decisions. I have not. I've had one too many credit cards, just like some of you have. But here's what I've learned when it comes to my giving to the Lord. Number one, I should first give to my church. There's lots of other opportunities, but I should first give to my church and consistently. And number two, my gift to the church should be sacrificial. It should be sacrificial. I believe, this is me talking, my contribution should cost me. It should sting a little. It should remind me every week when I put that in the plate, it's reminding me, God, I could not do this if it were not for You. It's all Yours. And I want to respond in a way. Remember King David made that same statement, Lord, I will not offer that which cost me nothing. Somebody gives me a big gift and I just put it in the plate. That didn't cost me anything. Sacrificial. Sometimes we get all caught up on the percentages. Must it be a tithe? We'll talk about that more in a minute. We talked about that earlier. In the New Testament, it's not about percentages. That's why I think sacrificial is the term. And I believe that we should give to the church first. Even though every week, God may give you opportunities to help other people. And He'd be so tender to take that money that I've committed to give to the church and help other people. I'm of the opinion that I'm giving that to my church first. And I'll respond to those other opportunities later. And I do that because I think of, again, how many times in the Bible it says the tithe belongs to the Lord. This is His. We give our first fruits, not our leftovers. Even in the New Testament, we read about those early Christians who would make a sacrificial gift and they would bring their offering and give it to the leaders of the church for them to disperse. But here's the truth. We all think we can do a better job of spending our money. Don't we? We all think we can do a better job of spending our money. Let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, we were having a home Bible study. It was a night. We have a group that meets here at the building. Well, that night, we were also having a meal in the gym afterwards. And so, as some of our folks were next door preparing for the meal before worship started, a lady came in off the street needing help, asked for money. One of our good men gave her a 20. She went out the door. Well, we had a little worship time, our Bible study, and she came in here during that time, talked with one of our good men, and said she needed help. So we gave her a 20. The reason I know that is because when we had gathered and we were eating, someone mentioned about this lady needing help, and one compared their story. He gave her a 20. He gave her a 20. Guess who walked in the door a third time asking for help? Now, both of those men did a good thing helping somebody in need. But we'd all agree that wouldn't it be good if we kind of coordinated and worked together? And I believe in our giving to the church, God has given us a structure, an organization where we can work together and our collective finances can be much more stronger than you and I individually. For example, as far as how we help as a church with benevolence, I want you to know this. How we do this. We have deacons and members who, who lead this area. So when somebody comes to our building or they call the office or come by and they need help, and it happens all the time, it'd be easy for us just to give them a 20 or, or give them what they need. The truth is, they may need more help 
than just their rent that they're asking for. I mean, way over their head. They may need uh, their power bill paid as well. It may be that they're working the system. And then you'd be called out on that and save that money and give to somebody else who's really in need. And so organize, we work together to help. Some of you think, well, I don't always agree when I look at the church budget with how the money is spent. And I would say to that, very respectfully, get in line. Who of us always agree with how all the money... Husbands and wives don't always agree with how the money is spent. And here's another one. In my years of ministry, I have heard people say, I'm not going to give because I'm mad at the elders. And I understand that way of thinking to a degree because sometimes when we gather together and we're taking up a collection as part of our worship, we'll pray for our elders that they make good decisions with how that money is spent. Good prayer. Need to say that prayer because we want that money to be spent well. But it's not the elders' money. And if you don't give because you're upset with the elders about a decision or whatever, that's not hurting them. That's just illustrating that you don't understand benevolence. I mean, you don't understand stewardship the way God intends for it to be. Your sacrificial giving to the church is your worship to God. And through the church, we have this God-given structure, a system You don't have to wonder, is it going to go to something worthwhile? You can believe and trust that it is and be all the more willing to share. With all of her flaws, the church is still, 2,000 years later, Jesus' chosen way to stand against the gates of hell. And I believe Jesus, it's expected by Him as the head of the church, that you support financially the body where you are nourished spiritually. If I could for the next moment just take off the Randy paid preacher hat and just listen to the, the, the Randy hat alone and tell you my story. If I could tell you personally, I am eternally grateful because I did not grow up going to church. You, you know that story. I, that was not, we didn't go anywhere. But I'm eternally grateful that 42 years ago, when I was 10, that there were some people at the Austinville Church of Christ who gave generously and sacrificially that they had a building and a paid preacher by the name of Jackie Fox who taught me the Gospel there. He baptized me there. And I learned what a church family was supposed to be like. And those people through their giving sponsored my first internship serving a church when I was in college one summer. I learned, but I experienced that. And it's because of them that I'm standing here today. Because somebody was generous and giving and sacrificial. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, In the same way the Lord has commanded those who preach the Gospel should receive their living from the Gospel. Can I tell you how many times I wish I didn't have to live off the church? That I had my own income? You know what that is? That's pride speaking. That's what that is. See, it's good for me to depend on God. 100%. Galatians 6.6 6, Anyone who receives the instruction of the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Not just my faith story. What about your faith story? How many of you know Jesus today because of the mission of the church? How many of you know Jesus today because of the mission of this church? I can't help but think, but our beloved Joy, who's just returned from India. What about Gavin Pinkston? 
Michael Bowen grew up in this church. This is their youth group. This is their church family. And now have the courage to go to a country where so few dare to go to share the Gospel. You do not have to give to come to this church. You do not. You do not have to give to come to this church. But no, you have a church to come to. Because somebody gives. And they give first. And they give consistently. And sacrificially. They realize that ultimately they're giving to God because they want to advance His kingdom. Here's number four. Do something to model the joy of generosity to others. I want to make sure we mention this because... People talk about prayer warriors. You've heard that phrase? Prayer warriors. And that sounds so spiritual. They're such a man or a woman of God. They're prayer warriors. They pray that much. They have that much faith. Do we ever talk about giving warriors? We don't, do we? In fact, almost just the opposite. It seems so unspiritual. But stewardship is very much a spiritual discipline. The early church celebrated generosity. And they talked about it. I went back and I looked, and I, and I found places like in Acts chapter 4 where it's very specific. Barnabas sold a field and gave it to the church. Why do we know that? We know that. It's in the Bible. We're supposed to know that. We know his name. We know what he did. We know how he did it. In Acts chapter 11, Luke says the disciples gave according to their ability to help the Christians in Judea, helping other believers there. We don't know the specifics about that, but Paul shared openly about the churches in Macedonia, what they were doing their giving. Not giving out of their abundance. In fact, they were were in financial straits themselves. But Paul says, we want you to know about this. This is not a hiding it. We want you to know. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. If you weren't with us last week, I mentioned this. Go back and read chapters 8 and 9. These two are rich chapters in Scripture about understanding stewardship. But look how chapter 8 opens. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of most of your trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Now, look at that verse there on the screen. And you know what's missing? You know what's missing from what he's sharing here? An amount. Doesn't list the amount. He doesn't list the percentage. You know why? Because that's not important. It's not about the amount. It's not about the percentage. What it was was rich generosity out of their poverty, even beyond their ability. You talk about faith. That was a spiritual act of faith in their rich generosity. One reason God loves a cheerful giver is because when you give, it brings cheer to others. And we need to know about that. Look at verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for others, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He calls it a grace. This grace of giving. Now, that being said, and you already may be ahead of me, you're thinking about what about Jesus' admonition on the Sermon on the Mount? When he told us specifically about giving, not to let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You remember that? Remember the context of that. He says, when you are helping people, he said, you don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So I'm not talking about bragging on yourself how you were able to save the day this week. That's not at all what we're talking about. But I do believe when I look in Scripture that God will continue to give us opportunities where we can be more open about stewardship. And not be afraid 
to talk about how God is challenging you to grow spiritually in this grace of giving. To share with others. Again, maybe go up to somebody you know who's done well with this. Maybe they're 10 years older than you or 30 years older than you and say, teach me about this because I'm really struggling. Teach me what it means. Let their joy inspire you so that you can inspire others. Especially at home. And that's the next point. I could have combined them, but I think this is a point that needs to stand on its own. Do something to teach your kids about God and money. Because the culture is. And if you don't, they're just going to believe what the culture is telling them. And don't pass on chains of bondage. Financial bondage to your children. Ephesians 6, four says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Surely this includes age-appropriate teaching in stewardship. If one in six things that came out of Jesus' mouth was related to money, you cannot, teach your ki- cannot not teach your kids about this. Children need to learn. The only one allowed to say, mine is God. Because it's all His. Even kids who have a lot may never learn contentment. But even those who have little need to learn contentment. Even at an early age. Learn the value of hard work. To learn what it means to save. To learn what it means to share. And to give liberally and richly. It's as much of a walk as it is a talk. Parents, let me ask you this question. Do your kids know what you do as you give sacrificially to God? See, it's so easy just to give them a couple of dollars and they put that in the plate and and we are starting perhaps in the right direction. But do they know what you are doing? In fact, as much as online giving is a wonderful thing and that may even help us to be disciplined and it comes off first and it goes in automatically, one of the concerns about that may be we're missing an opportunity for our kids to see us giving. Now, you don't have to write a check and put it in in the plate. But you pull your kids aside and make sure they know, you know, we could do this and this and this, but instead we are sacrificially giving to God this amount. And let them know as a family that they are a part of that. Do not pass on wealth to the next generation without passing on wisdom. Which brings me to number six. Do something to ensure that your barn honors God when you die. Be sure you do something to ensure your barn honors God when you die. Your stewardship decisions, good or bad, wise or foolish, are going to outlive you. So make them good. Remember Jesus telling the story about the farmer that had the bumper crop, good harvest, so much so his barns wouldn't hold them? So he decided to keep it all to himself, build a bigger barn? The story ends in Luke 12, 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself. What? Will what God has loaned you, will what God has loaned you honor Him after you die? Whatever you have, your estate, big or little, will go to your heirs, any charities you choose, or, 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 or taxes. But to plan ahead means you get to make those choices. Where does the Bible say that all your money has to go to your kids. Might be good. Might not be. 
Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. So do something now that will continue to honor God, continue to disciple your family, even after you're gone. In fact, God might challenge you to empty your barn before you die. Now, if you see somebody asleep, jar them. I want them to get this last point. Number seven, do something to witness the absurdity of grace. If you don't like the word witness, put experience. That might be better. Do something to experience the absurdity of grace. God made the first move in generosity. Christianity was founded on the act of scandalously illogical giving. Salvation through Jesus does not make sense. It is not logical. Remember that poor widow that Jesus observed making her donation into the treasury? He's observing all this happening. The text tells us He saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He saw the certain widow putting in two mites. Luke 21, verse 3 and 4, He said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings to God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Logic screams makes no sense. Keep it for yourself. How are you going to eat? That's your last money. That makes no sense. And Jesus watches all this unfold and note, He does not tell her to stop. Another woman, single, taking basically all that she owns in this container of expensive perfume, breaks it open, anoints, washes the feet of Jesus. Logic says, and the critics said, not just thought, they said, this could be sold in that money given to feed the poor. Yes, it could. But the absurdity of grace In fact, notice, Jesus didn't stop her. Mark 14, verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We remember her. We talk about her because it's such a wonderful picture of the absurdity of grace. That it's not logical. And God wants our stewardship. He's not about percentages. He's not about amounts. He wants you and your heart to do something so bold, so full of faith. And He's not going to stop you. He's going to accept your love and He's going to be right there with you through all of that. So what's that going to look like for you? For you, it may be out of your poverty. Put in your last two mites in. All you've got. Or maybe for you, it's When it's time to trade that car, instead of trading that car, you give that to a single mom who needs some help. Or maybe, you know, it seems to be the normal that we save up and take our family on a vacation to see a mouse. What if you save up and take our family to another country and feed the poor? You think your children would remember that? Maybe He wants you to rewrite your will and leave a huge chunk of it to advance the kingdom. Did you know with all the sacrificial giving about Faith Farm, I mentioned it earlier, more than $200,000. So many of you gave so generously. I didn't mention this earlier, I don't think. 
I might repeat myself. This is the beauty of two services. The elders and ministers don't know who gives what. Did you know that? We don't. The elders don't want to know. The ministers don't want to know. And it's best for us not to know. Now, those who count have to know. They need to know. They keep up with it. But it's not for us to know. But I did hear this. Of all the generous donations that were made for, for Faith Farm and our children's ministry, there were some very generous, like in the thousands, of some people who weren't members here. They were visiting. Not even members. Why would somebody who's a visitor give $1,000 or more? To, they're not even a That makes no sense. Not the way we look at it. Not when you put logic to it. But it makes total sense when you realize and acknowledge we're living in a different economy because we are living in a different kingdom. Kyle Adelman told about a preacher whose church building burned down, the whole building, including the office, including his office, which meant he lost all of his books, he lost his computer, lost his files, lost his sermons, he lost everything. He said this, the only thing that I saved were those things I had given away and people returned to me. What the good book tells us is the fire is coming and all of this is going to be burned. And the only thing you have are the things you give away. Is that not what we're learning through all of this? Nothing seemed more absurd at the time than the cross. When we needed generosity, God did something. He went first so that we could have salvation through His Son. And our invitation song is to encourage you to accept that salvation. Confess that you believe He is the Son of God. Let Him make you a new creation as He washes your sins away and gives you His Holy Spirit. Or maybe today we can pray for you to grow in the grace of wisdom, of, of generosity, to gain more wisdom, to be a true disciple. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?